hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Content Creation Made Easy. I'm your host, Jen Liddy, and I'm excited about my my guest today, Justin Blackman, because he's we're going to be talking about AI and why not to be afraid of AI, how to use AI, how to stop making it sound boring. But also we're going to talk about your voice and how to kind of harness your voice and make your writing sound more like you leaning into your Eunice even more. So Justin, I really want to appreciate, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you getting on because this is like super last minute. And also he changed the time for me because of my 15 year old. I just, I'm so appreciative. Before I ask you to talk, I have to read your bio because it's so great. And I think people could really use more work on their bio. So take a note, people. Justin Blackman is a brand voice expert who goes overboard. He's written copy for more than 429 people and dozens of brands and managed to sound like every one of them. He uses a technique called brand ventriloquism that allows him to mirror your voice and writing style so you can scale your content authentically, even if you're not writing it at all yourself. I love that it's 429 people. Like These are the kinds of details that just make writing pop. I love yeah, it. it's it's all about the specificity and unusual yes. numbers are more memorable. Like if I said more than 400, yes. you might think it's 401. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the old videos, it's like less than 20 bucks or it's 1999. When you get right. specific, they're stickier. It they, they resonate and people remember them. And it adds also an element of proof to it. So mm. it's not just a generalization. It's like, no, these are my real numbers. I'm showing you my books. Yeah. I looked yesterday and there's 429, right? In a neighborhood in our city, there's a park where the speed limit is 17 miles yeah. per hour. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, what the hell is it? 17 miles an hour? But it makes you take yeah. notice. Because if it was 15, you would round up and you start going like 20 and then 25. That's <laughs> yes, what happens. Yeah, there's 17. definitely a couple of those. I've seen 13. I've seen 17. And it makes you drive slower. It totally. Does. It makes you pay yeah. attention. All right, let's dive into your expertise. So can you give us a little background on who you are and what you do just so we can, before we jump into talking about the really juicy sure. stuff? So, I mean, I can go back to my content days. Um, I used to work for IHG Hotels, the parent brand of Holiday Inn, Crown Plaza, Intercontinental. I was a content writer there. And uh, also got a chance to dabble into all of the conversion elements and really had to understand how to write to get stuff approved because everything was being reviewed by dozens and dozens of people. And so with suits, are these people wearing suits? Some of them were, <laughs> some of them weren't, <laughs> but that's actually, that shows you the diversity of everything is I had to write mm -hmm. for the, like the casual guy in, in jeans and flip-flops on Fridays and also for the guys in suit and ties and, and for the women right, in, right. in suits and, and business suits. So huge diversity all who wanted to put their fingerprints on it. And mm -hmm. it got to the point where I was writing for approval rather than what I really wanted to write. But then there were those times when something would happen and it would just be like, hey, an opening just came up. We need to get an email out in, in an hour. Can you write something? And I would. Mm -hmm. And that's when I would write for me. And I'd be like, here's what I'd want to read. And I'd write it. And one person would sign off on it and go out. And those were the highest performing emails. Because they oh weren't God, watered down. Story. I didn't have to muddy the message. I didn't have to. Mm. I didn't have to hide. You didn't have to like vanilla eyes yourself. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly. Oh, it. I love it. So I was able to write punchier, and I was like, I, I got a little bit of freedom to do that more and more. We had some blogs, uh, and I wound up writing 
four of the top 10 blog articles in the company's gigantic archive because they were fun. And I was like, there's more Mm -hmm. here. So eventually I left IHG and I, I went on to do more of that. And I started to write more fun stuff, more stuff that I wanted to write. Uh, and I wound up writing for, um, I was hired by an agency where I had to write ads and emails for uh, hundreds and hundreds of people. At last count, with that client, I think it was around, it was just shy of 300. But I wrote for so many people and I saw all their quirks. And sometimes they were hiding these things, but I would find it and I would bring it out. And those were the ads that did best. So I found how to bring people's voice to life by making Mm -hmm. it sound more like them and less the way that they were taught to write in school. Oh my God, yes. We didn't talk about this, but I used to be a high school English teacher and then a college English professor writing specifically. And I felt like these kids had no idea how to be themselves, but also they're not encouraged to be themselves because there is such a specific format and it's just so like voiceless and you have to have your you know, your, does this prove your thesis? Is there textual yes. evidence in here? And so, God, I don't miss that kind of writing yeah. at all. It's not fun to write. It's not fun to read. It's, it's, it's important to learn how to do. So I understand mm-hmm. the process, but it's also nice when you realize they don't have to do it anymore. Tell me how you became such, how did you find this like part of yourself that was able to just lean into writing, have fun, and then do it with this voice of your own. We'll talk later about your algorithm for like finding other people's voice and mirroring, but like, how did you find your own? The fact is the writing came last. Mm. I used to work before I got into content writing. I was in field marketing. I worked for Red Bull, Puma, Five Hour Energy, Keurig. Wow. I ran a lot of the sampling programs. So like with Red Bull, the Mini Cooper with the big can on the back, I used to manage those teams. And I trained the teams and I was also out in the field a couple times a month. And I've spoken to hundreds and thousands of people in every type of situation you can imagine. And I had to learn to think on my feet. I practiced a lot of improv. I learned how I practiced a lot of quick hit storytelling techniques. And I stole those from comics. Mm. I used to study stand-up comedy. Mm. Not that I was a comic, but I studied the art of it and the communication. And I learned how to get across and I learned how to make fast connections with people. And that just sort of became part of my process and my style. Uh, when I got into copywriting, well, when I moved to content and then I started studying copywriting. And I learned that if you made a Venn diagram about how to create a good joke and like the rules of comedy, and then if you took the rules of copywriting, if you were to make a Venn diagram, you would have a circle. They were, yeah. they were the same rules. In copywriting, you just don't make it funny. But you still have <laughs> you still have the same uh, the same elements like follow the rules of three. You have to end on the power word, and then there's the day drinking. So it's like, <laughs> what's the day drinking? <laughs> well, it's just oh, that just makes it yeah. all better. <laughs> so, but it's just like the rules are there, and like the best comedians are great writers. And yeah, I just sort of combined all of those things, and they were part of who I am, and they just. Figuring out the structure behind how to do it, I who I was and, and what I was saying, how to put it in a way that that resonated more impactfully, just sort of fell into place. That's amazing. So I'm a huge word nerd. And so when I went to your website, which I am going to share at the end of the episode, because I feel like everybody needs to go to this website. And even if you don't need <laughs> services, it's so... Oh my God, it's funny. It's fun. It's light. It's impactful. It's 
different. You, you just set yourself apart so much by what you've done. And it's so just personal. Like I feel like I read that and I just got a sense of your personality. And that's always what I'm trying to do with my own writing. I would not even put myself close to what you're able to do, but I'm also trying to teach other people how to do that in the online industry that I see for my, my clients who are often introverted, maybe new ish to business, or they've been in online business a while, but they're experts in their field. But finding their voice and having permission to find their voice is so hard for them. A lot of times they don't want to be on stage. They don't want the spotlight on them. So sometimes they just avoid marketing altogether or they've been told they're a shitty writer. So they have this belief that like, it just can't work for me. So I'm curious, when I say all of those things, what comes to your brain? So, I mean, there's a lot there. What One of the things that I love about writing is it gives me a chance to be more extroverted. I am an introvert by nature, but actually I like being on stage and I like writing. I can be more confident when I write because I can edit. When you hear me speak, I'm going to say ridiculous stuff. You're getting my (laughs) crappy first draft. Mm -hmm. When I'm writing, you're getting my third or fourth draft of it. So it's more polished. It's more perfect. And I, it makes me more confident in the message. As long as I'm confident in the message that I'm saying it, the words will find their way out. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather write the email than do a video. Right. Than do a video. Right. I'm not big on social media. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't, you're never going to see me do a reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't want to do it, but I will write you a blog post and I will write you emails and I will write, write you fun captions on Facebook, but I'm not big on Instagram. I'm never going to go live. I'll do stuff like this where I'm talking to you one-on-one yeah. and I'll present all day long. I'm not out there to be showy. Yeah. People come to me because I just, I write what interests me and the right people find it mm. and it resonates with them. I don't just want to write the same thing as everybody else. I want to put my unique spin on it and tie in my background. You know, the whole thing with voice, if you're watching the video of this, you see I've got Super Grover behind me and I tie it into puppetry and Jim Henson and Frank Oz and about how they created voices and characters and brought things to life mm-hmm. because those rules still apply. The same things that they were doing to create the voices of Cookie Monster and the Count and Kermit, the way that it came across is the same way that it comes across in writing. And it's just more engaging to talk about it that way, even rather than talking about the math behind the numbers, which I do. And I, I dive into it and I love the math behind the numbers, but it's more exciting if I talk about, you know, Super Grover. <laughs> Can we dive in a little bit to start with? AI. That was the original thing I was kind of intrigued by. AI is, it's like, almost okay, here we are, the robots. It's 2023, the robots are definitely taking over at this point, right? Yeah. AI feels scary to people, especially people who don't know how to use it or people who are writers and they're like, oh shit, is my job going to be obviated by this? And yeah. when you were recommended for me to reach out to, like, this is part of what I want to talk about. But you, I know you're also an expert in helping us harness AI and then weave our voice into it. So I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are. Well, the best way, I did a workshop with my partner, Abby Woodcock, about this. And she had a great example about this. AI, like chat GPT, is to copywriters what Canva was for graphic designers. Mm-hmm. It made it more accessible to the people who really weren't going to hire copywriters anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> or designers. Right? Or designers. Right, right. Like I use Canva and it's great because I can make my bad designs a little bit better. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But I also know that there's going to hit a point where I'll be like, I've taken this as far as I can go. Mm-hmm. If I'm not happy with it, then I'm going to hire a designer. Mm-hmm. But for those little janky, you know, logos and bitmaps and resizing images, I didn't want to hire anyone for that. And I wasn't going to do it. I was going to find some cheap workaround that was going to be a pain in the butt. But now I can pay, I don't know, 120 bucks a year and, and be done with it. Now I can do all that stuff. So it's better for everybody. Because nobody wants to do those jobs anyway. <laughs> That's right. That's a good point. So Chat GPT is good at doing the like a card abandonment, not even a card abandonment email, but like uh, a confirmation email of like a purchase confirmation. It can write that. Like, congratulations, your shipment is on the way. It's good at that. It's good at doing the copy that nobody wants to think about. Like listicles and stuff like that? It can do listicles. Mm-hmm. It can actually do those pretty well. Mm-hmm. But it's the stuff that you don't want to waste your brain power on. Mm. It's very good at that because it's the stuff that doesn't have to have personality. Now, sure, it can. Yeah, I mean, there are some great confirmation emails, purchase confirmation emails, that, like the CD Baby email, which is like legendary in the copywriting world. It's about like, congratulations on your purchase. When we saw your order come through, Sheila from Accounts Payable started doing cartwheels. I've, uh, I've seen know. something like that, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it's called the CD baby email because they were the originators of it. Gotcha. And it's been done thousands of times since. Some very well, some examples horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so runs the gamut. But most people are probably just going to be like, thanks for your order. Shipping's on the way. Here's the tracking information. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Right, right. ChatGPT Not everything really needs to have good. bells and yeah. whistles. Gotcha. Yeah. It's very good at that. It's also good for getting your first draft. A lot of people don't like staring at the blank page. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to write about. Now you can just write me an email about blah, and it's going to come out and you're going to get something and be like, this isn't good, but I can work with this. Mm. Now you don't have to write. You have to edit. Yes. And editing is a different, it's less creative, but you might find creativity spawned based off of chat GPT. And it's really good at linking some stuff coming up with some interesting combinations and parallels that you might not, you probably could, would have come up with had you done, had you spent enough time on it, but it's whether or not you actually want to spend the time on it. Can you give an example? Do you, have you used it in this way? Yeah, I have. It's cool. Like you can say, hey, give me an analogy between, let's say, what are things that your your audience would write about? Oh, say like um, creating boundaries in their relationships or something. Okay. Write me an email about creating boundaries done as a comparison to a lion tamer. Okay. And it will come up with something that will give you a not great version, but something that you'd be like, oh, actually, this is an interesting connection. I can do more with this. And then you could talk about like how, you know, it's like, you know, herding cats and then you've got to um, know when to crack the whip. And you can start to create all these little analogies. You can get the inspiration from ChatGPT without having to think about all the connections that you could make. It's going to spark some ideas. That is the first time I'm hearing that piece said. That is so brilliant to me because if you aren't wasting all of your brain power trying to generate an idea, trying to generate an analogy, trying to be clever... And it's boom right there for you. And then you just let your brain relax and you're like, how can I take this on a tangent? Or how can I fold in a story from my life or an example from my life that, 
oh my God, that's just like, I, I just want to take a huge breath and say like, that's actually a huge relief for people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chat GPT doesn't know your life. It can't <laughs> tell a story about your aunt Sally who gave you your first sip of whiskey when you were 13. <laughs> you can tell that story. <laughs> Yes. You're the only one that can tell that story unless you tell it to a copywriter and then they can tell it too. <laughs> right. But you can do like, hey, what are a couple of things that a cool ant does? And it will mm. give you like, give me six things that a cool ant would do. It'll tell you some ideas. Be like, actually, five of these are garbage. But number six, it's my gold. aunt actually did that. And there's a story there that I haven't thought about in years. There's an email in there. Oh, my God. I love that. That is an amazing insight. Can we talk a little bit about the math and algorithms that cause AI to just feel so so lifeless and flat? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. Some of the reasons why it's flat and predictable is because it doesn't write wrong. The most interesting writing that we come across is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. AI is based off of algorithms and predicting things. The way that it literally write sentences word by word, whereas we're thinking of ideas and it's just sort of coming out. But what they're doing is they're, they're linking word combinations. So it's based off of predictability. And if you give it interesting prompts, you can come up with a little bit more interesting answers. But if you reverse engineer it, you can see how, how it linked certain mm -hmm, things. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do that heavy thinking. So it's based off of numbers and patterns and, and word order and similarities. And it can get a little bit interesting if you ask it to create like a haiku, because then it's forced to work within different parameters mm. based off of syllable counts, write a poem, and then it has to add rhyming into it uh, and meter. So that's when you get some more interesting elements to it. But the fact is, it's always based on predictability. And ChatGPT in particular, which is the most common one. And there are a lot of AI programs out there. There's some yeah, specific. Canva even has one. Canva has one within it right now. Yeah. I'll use ChatGPT just because it's the yeah. most common. It's like the Google of search results. Okay. So it has a protective element to it. Like AI has uh, like a, somebody said it's like an Isaac Asimov level where the robots are programmed to do no harm. <laughs> AI has that. Like if you ask it to write a story, it's going to have a happy ending. Mm. If you try to get it to write a sad ending, it'd be like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. It won't agitate. It won't hurt you. Ooh, that's interesting. I'm actually really glad that that's there. Yeah. But it also means that we're missing some, some core emotions that can pepper in some meat to your content. And that surprise element, one of the things on your homepage that I just laughed out loud when I saw it is right at the top. You've got a button for, you know, your opt-in. It says lick this button to get better writing. I was like yeah. that this is the, <laughs> this is the mark of somebody who knows how to harness language and use that like, whoa factor. <laughs> Actually at one point I had it said now available and great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know what to do with it. So I was like, yeah, I'll use that. I'll use it somewhere else. <laughs> In blue raspberry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the hell does blue raspberry taste? Yeah. But it's that unpredictability, which makes it kind of fun. And it's so like even that, the lick this, it was because like, I didn't know whether to put click or tap. If you're on a desktop, it's clicking. If oh, yeah. it's on a phone, you're tapping. And I was reading about the CTAs, like 
back when this was a bigger deal, it's like, well, what should you put it? And you like poke. I was mm-hmm. like, well, poke's a fun word. And I actually have poke a couple of places, but I was just, I needed something else. I was like, well, what could you poke with? I'm like, your elbow, your nose, your tongue. All right, like this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's where that came from. It's just putting a little bit of extra effort into mm-hmm. the, whenever you're thinking about something, it's like, I don't like to default to the obvious mm-hmm. click or tap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So AI right now is, is primarily defaulting to the obvious. Okay. You can and get then, it to go deeper with the right prompts, but it takes a lot of work. So we can start using AI to actually kind of do that first layer of work that might be for some people who aren't naturally, don't naturally see themselves as confident writers. Like this might yeah. just be like the first pass for them that gives them a spark Yeah. to go further. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, if they're a course creator, what are three things that make a course creator a good teacher? Now, you said that you were a teacher. I've got a friend that was a teacher, and he has some of the best programs in the world, and I couldn't quite figure out what what was there, but it's the structure behind his teaching process mm-hmm. because he's used to planning lessons. Mm-hmm. So everything feels very organized and structured, whereas mine is sort of a kind of like a, a brain dump, and then I shuffle things around. I was like, all right, this feels good. His feels so structured, and it wasn't until I was talking to someone, they're like, oh, it's because he was a teacher. Teachers, yeah, they're trained to do that exactly thing. Exactly right. that, right. So you could say like, what makes a teacher a great course creator? Mm-hmm. And you could ask, like, give me six, six reasons why a teacher would be a good course creator. ChatGPT will spit out six things. They'd be like, oh, this is interesting. I could write about that. And then you just flesh the bullet points and paragraphs and you've got yeah. a, a really solid email. Well, let's talk about how then you start to weave your voice in. I think a lot of people don't even know what their voice is. I think people don't know what voice in general is when it comes yeah. to writing. Yeah. because. Well, we're not encouraged to do it in school, first of all. And then maybe we've worked in industry and we've been, you know, it's been like beaten out of us. But also I think online, there's a lot of consuming pretty generic bullshit, yeah, almost like antiseptic stuff. So it makes sense that people don't know what voice is. So can we just start with what the hell is voice when it comes to writing? How do you describe it? Sure. This is one of my favorite things. So a lot of people, if you Google what is voice, you're going to get stuff about like, these airy fairy feelings about how voices, your soul inside of you trying to escape, to convey message, uh, to convey your message to the world. It's yourself inside of the story. I can, can tell I by here? your tone that that <laughs> is not what you think. <laughs> it is not what I think. And I really want to call, I'm going to call BS on it. All right, let's <laughs> hear it. it. It's not. Voice is three things. It's your vocabulary, mm-hmm. it's your tone, and it's your cadence. Okay. That's it. It's three measurable assets. Vocabulary is the level of words that you use. Mm-hmm. Are you talking so simple that a kindergartner could reach it? Or are you using uh, more complex vocabulary that with this weightiness and this lofty feel that has a more academic vibe? Mm-hmm. Simple or complex? Question about this. It's your word choice. Can vocabulary and word choice also include how you mix words together or maybe make up your own words? Yeah, it absolutely can. And there are actually rules and sciences behind all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like when you make up words, one of my favorite rules is the the words tend to have interesting letters. If the word contains a letter worth at least six points in vocabulary, in in Scrabble, you have room to play. Are we talking about X's? Yeah, X's, (laughs) Q's, V's, W's. When you see that stuff, you can you can change the word entirely. 
my mm. friend Kira Hug, who's a great copywriter, when she sends out an FAQ email, she says, frequently ask croissants. <laughs> and I've stolen that flat out and I give her credit. I think that it is a genius line. But I ask myself, like, why does that work? Right. And it's like, oh, because there's a cue in questions. And she just made the word more interesting. Yeah. But like, because the, the first two words set it up, it just makes the, the end uh, a good twist. I imagine you really have to play around with this because it's kind of like what you're talking about with, with comics, stand-up comics. They craft these things. Like They spend hours crafting their bits, yeah. right? They write them. It's not like they're up yeah. there just extemporaneously pulling it out of their asses. Yeah. This is like, if we could just give us uh, ourselves permission to play with these words and our vocabulary, like to notice our vocabulary, first of all, and then play with yeah. it. God, that's so much more fun. Yeah. I and mean, I'm a big word like, nerd, but. It, like even you could say it's very interesting or you could say it's it's very interesting. And, <laughs> you know, it's like stuff like that. You know what the right word is, but now all of a sudden becomes a little bit more playful. Playful is the word. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. The next thing you said was, so after vocabulary tone. is tone. Tone, which is the emotion in your writing. Mm -hmm. And these are literally measurable elements that you have. There are there are word databases. There's something called the Emolex, which is the emotional lexicon of words. Oh my People God. Have, have spent, that's really what AI uses based off mass audiences, like little tests. It's like, how does this word make you feel? Happy, sad, or neutral? And they go through tens of thousands of words and everybody ranks it. Mm -hmm. So we know what words make us feel happy. We know what words make us feel sad. But the emotions, the tones of everything, I mean, you can have happy, sad, angry, scared, tentative, confident. So you actually have tones that are measurable and, and the AI is using this stuff and it's been around for a long time and I actually use it in, in my writing process as well. But you can Google like emotion wheels mm -hmm. and you will find and look at the, the image results. You'll find color wheels yeah. that have often about a hundred different ways to define your emotions. And so if you say like, I feel happy, happy can mean all the way from content to serene relaxed to ecstatic, jubilant. Joyful, right, 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 right. They're both happy. They're all happy, but they're very wide ranges of the spectrum. They're both bookends with a really big in-between. So if you say, well, I want my story to be happier, well, does that mean that you want it to be more content and more satisfying? <laughs> or does that mean that you want it like, you know, a toddler on Red Bull? This kind of goes to the specificity that we talked about in the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. So when you're thinking about your tone when you're writing, are you at the point where it's um, you're cognizant of it and you're like really analyzing it, or is it just natural to you at this point? When I'm writing for someone else, I'm very cognizant. When oh, it's their me, tone, because you have to match their tone. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and that's it. Like because I'm aware of all the different levels, I can dial it in better than other writers who are just mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm just trying to make it happier. Mm. Well, what does that mean? When I'm writing for me. It mostly comes out pretty natural, but there are times when I get it wrong. And because I'm aware of the vocabulary tone cadence framework, I'm able to fix it pretty easily. Mm. But there are times like where I'll make a joke, like a placeholder joke, and it'll be it'll be harsh. Mm. I'll be like, that's uh, a little dark for me. Let mm -hmm. me lighten it up. I wanted to be sarcastic. That one actually went rude. Mm, I love that. So there are ways to to know. I know when I've gone too far. You know what I think is incredibly important about what you're saying now, beyond the analysis of your own vocabulary and tone, 
is that like, even for great writers like you, it's not like you just sit down and bang it all out. No. I'm hearing that it's really crafted and edited and assessed and analyzed and revised. Like this is something that I believe people who don't see themselves as good writers believe that the people who they do read, who they think are good writers are just sitting down and like, it just comes out naturally. Nope. It's an effort, right? It is an effort. There absolutely are some people that can like sit down and bang out an email in 15 minutes. And that's great. But it typically, they're the ones that are very confident in their skills and they don't care about all the words Mm -hmm. because they're often people that are writing emails every day. And they Mm -hmm. were like, you know what? The law of averages, 50% of my emails are going to be below average. 50% are going to be above. That's the way that averages work. Right. So if this one's not great, tomorrow's will be better. Mm. And they don't put that pressure on themselves. I think this would be like a Seth Godin who sends one every single day. Yeah. I think he's yeah, actually probably. even said that about his writing. Like, you know, not everything's a winner. Yeah. But he's sending one every day. You know, I want to send yeah. one once a week and I want it to be really, really, really good. Right. I'm the same way. But I also know like if I'm doing a promotion where I'm sending out emails every day, the emails are actually going to be easier to write. And I'm going to care a little bit less about the perfection in it. Yes. When you send fewer, like I do, I usually do about one a week, they become a little bit agonizing. Mm-hmm. Like like pieces of art. Yeah. I've gotten past this. I had to do a lot of mindset work, but I used to not be done with a piece until I hated it. Until I had convinced <laughs> like myself that it was shit. garbage, that <laughs> there was no value in it whatsoever, and that it should just be thrown away. <laughs> then you did that, send? That's when I was like, oh no, that just means it's ready. Okay. <laughs> Can we talk about the last piece, which is cadence? Cadence, yeah. The cadence is the rhythm of your writing. Okay. And the rhythm controls the speed of how quickly you read it. I write short. I write choppy. If I'm going to do a list of three things, it's going to be thing one, period, thing two, period, thing three, period. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would have a longer strung together sentence with, you know, all the the three things in in one sentence or possibly four, four, five, six, seven sentences. Mm -hmm. I write short. I write choppy. Treatable. I write staccato. Mm-hmm. People have long, flowy, wordy bird sentences that go on and on forever and have a bit of a gentle feel to them. But sometimes they go on so long that by the time you reach the end of it, you need to take a breath and your eyes are tired because you haven't blinked in, thir- in, in three minutes. First, my style. It reminds me of um, when I was teaching, the first thing I ever taught was Lord of the Flies, yeah. William Golding. And he re- his, the whole book is that kind of writing. Yeah. And again, it's what we teach kids is literature, is writing, but then you get out into the real world. And if you have to market yourself, nobody wants to read. I'm going to no. say nobody. I don't know anybody who wants to read that kind of writing anymore, especially for marketing. Right. If you're writing a book, sure. It's different it has story. a gentle feel to it. Yeah. But even that, like if you look at Dan Brown with the Da Vinci Code and things like that, it's short, it's fast, it's mm-hmm. quick. There's a reason why you read his book so fast. And it's because the sentences are shorter. Yeah. It, it's got a different feel to it. Versus, you know, some of the older books, like now the average, these days, the average sentence length is between 15 to 20 words Mm -hmm. in written English. In the 1800s, it was about 38 to 45 words. So we're getting shorter and shorter. Well, our attention, it goes along with our attention span too, and our capacity. Yeah, it's just that older writing was meant to be enjoyed. It was Mm -hmm. relaxed. You would sit in an easy chair and with a paper or a book, and you would unwind. Mm. And that was the leisure activity. Now we're bombarded by words, and we just want to consume it quickly, and we want to move on to the next thing. Totally. 
if you are somebody who doesn't really understand cadence, or you think your cadence isn't working for your readers, or you simply want to change it, can you train yourself how to do that? Yeah, very much so. One of the first things that I do when I write for someone is before I even read the words, uh, before I read their copy, I look at their copy. Mm -hmm. And there are people that write so short like me, but I don't write one sentence paragraphs all the way through because that's got like that LinkedIn type of like the Mm -hmm. poetry type Mm -hmm. of feel. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I don't want my copy to look like that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's written like that, I'm going to link some of the sentences together Mm -hmm. into a more of a natural looking paragraph as opposed to just a straight list of one sentence, one sentence, one sentence, one sentence. So that's got a different feel than like the Lord of the Flies, which is probably going to be more traditional length paragraphs, more like we learned in school, five sentence paragraph. I almost never have a five sentence paragraph. It's usually, it's between one to three sentences. Mm -hmm. Five sentences would be really uncommon for me. Looking at the copy, seeing the way that it's laid out, the feel of it, Mm -hmm. that changes something. Like sometimes you just open up an email and it's blocks of text and you're just like, ugh, I don't want to read Can't do that today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. I'm going to put it away for later. And then later comes and be like, nope. Still not ready for that one. Yeah. So it's just, you have to decide how you want your copy to be written. But I also know people that write heftier and weightier like that. And I love their emails, but I know that I have to put aside time mm, to read it. Mm-hmm. So this is really about knowing yourself, but also knowing your audience. Yeah. Improving your voice requires you to, I'm hearing, and I mean, I know this as a writer, but I think um, there is an intuition that comes to it, but you're saying the where that intuition comes from is just being really aware of and engaged with the rules that you have kind of learned over these years, which are vocabulary cadence. And I I don't know why I can't keep remembering the middle word. Uh, Vocabulary, tone, and cadence. Tone, tone, tone is so important. I love tone. In fact, I get called out on my tone all the time by my husband. Don't don't take a tone with me. (laughs) So I get tone, but I feel like we know these things, but we've, it's never been unpacked for us before. Well, when it comes to copywriting, you said a word that, that I rail against a little bit. Mm. More for show than than what I truly believe, but intuition. Mm -hmm. A lot of copywriters write by intuition. Mm -hmm. They get voiced by intuition. Oh, I just sort of feel the client style. Intuition doesn't scale. Mm -hmm. Knowing your process, knowing what your sentences should look and sound like, what the exact emotions behind it should be, what the grade level of your writing should be. You can scale that. You can continue that. You can look at a piece of copy. You can run it through some online tools like the Hemingway app and get your readability. I know that the readability of my copy is typically grade three or grade four. If I write a piece at grade nine, I was like, whoa, that's completely off. Hmm. Like I'll know it. So I, but I know what to change to bring down that readability, to make it last, to make it more me, to make Mm -hmm. it feel right. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, the piece is going to become more and more me. Mm -hmm. If I'm writing for clients who have say an average of grade nine, I know that I need to string more, more sentences together. I need to change my style to match the, theirs. I'm not trying to fix them. I'm trying to write like them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use a higher vocabulary. I'm going to use loftier sentences. I'm going to use different emotions. And I'm going to get very dialed into what those emotions are. It's really important to understand what your baseline is. So you can begin to hover around that and also know what happens when you change. Yes. If you want to lengthen that or if you want to go on a darker tone or a lighter tone what it's going to do to the piece. 
So you're going to understand what you're making your readers feel as they go through it. Yeah. And then sometimes I feel like as you get more confident as a writer and you learn, lean into your voice more and you learn more about how you want to present your voice, I think because you get more confident, it, it might shift. Yeah. And, for sure. but it can't, if it shifts so much that your audience doesn't know who you are anymore and that's not your intention, that's a problem. Yeah. It's being able to shift it deliberately. Yeah is a tremendous skill. But I, I absolutely know writers who are way different than now than they were a couple of years ago. And I'm, I'm one of them. I mm -hmm. used to write about headlines and I used to write about comedy a lot. I don't really do that so much anymore. I, the comedy stuff still comes in, but I don't really write about headlines anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't write about conversion techniques. Mm -hmm, I write mm -hmm. about silly things and, and brand voice. Those are my main two areas. My voice has changed. My views have changed. My life has changed. You're allowed to grow. <laughs> yeah. So but I love it's that. just important to understand how your writing can shift to still reflect who you are today without being such a disconnect from who you were yesterday. So I'm just so curious, who's your favorite comedian? Kind of depends. Right now, Gary Goleman, I think, is oh, yeah. uh, one of the best writers out mm -hmm. there. He's got a piece on, uh, he filmed it on Conan O'Brien, and it was a piece about the abbreviations of the 50 states. I think that is the funniest five minutes on television. I'll have to go look that up. Yeah. Who's your favorite old school comedian? I'm going to take a little bit of flack for this one because of, of who he is right now. But Bill Cosby himself <laughs> is still one of the funniest bits ever. One of the, Is that I, the one I with the lights it. changing behind him and dad, dad, you know, yeah. dad in the morning eating cake? That was yep, a family is, right? staple. In, that was like how our family connected for years watching that yes. one. And I love it. And now it's a shame that like you kind of find out who he is. I know. But I watched it. It's hard. To, you can find it on YouTube, but that's about the only place that it's there. But I mm. showed it to my kids. They didn't laugh as hard as I did, but I'm I still laughed. rolling on the floor. I think <laughs> it was genius. Oh, my God. And then I'm a, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. I still love Seinfeld because yeah. I think he's so intelligent about the way he crafts his stuff. He is. It's, see, with, with Seinfeld, it's more about his viewpoint. But if you look at the way that his jokes are structured, they're actually not written very tight. No, like, which is, that's his style though. That's what works. Uh, they like compared to say Kevin Hart. Mm -hmm. I love Kevin Hart. If you watch Kevin Hart, he's even the way that I'm talking about him right now, he repeats his words a lot. He talks very short, seven words, eight words. And he'll be like, I was taking my dog to the doctor. I had to take my dog to the doctor, bring the dog to the doctor. A doctor had to see the dog. The dog was sick. The doctor was going <laughs> to fix it. And he, it's that repetition. It's short, choppy. It's fast. Seinfeld just sort of tells a story. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like Dave Chappelle. Yep. Dave Chappelle is not, he's a great writer, but he's a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And his, his stories are funny, but it's not jokes. Seinfeld's sort of a, yeah. in the somewhere middle. in between. Yeah. Where he doesn't write tight. His sentences aren't structured for maximum laughs, but they're great stories. It's the, it's the observation that's funny. And the t I think the tone for him sometimes too really yeah. makes me laugh. And then there's one other person. We saw um, Hassan Minaj in person. Have you I ever seen, seen him? him? He's so, like, he's got this elevated vocabulary and his cadence is like, he just goes and goes and goes and brings you on this journey. And it's this one looping story the whole time. And then he punctuates it right at the end. And it's yeah. brilliant. I was yeah, just like John Oliver kind of does that too. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Oh, this is so much fun. Hey, question. Do you work one-to-one -one with people or how, tell me how you work with people. Well, I don't work a lot with clients right now. Okay. 
when it comes to clients, I don't write from scratch anymore. But if somebody has a draft that they have taken as far as they can get, but no, it's not there or it's missing some punch, mm-hmm. you can bring me on for about an hour to three hours to, to work on a piece together. So I still do that. Power hours or soundboard sessions if you're mm-hmm. trying to dial in the voice. So I've got that. And then the other things that I do is I, is I, I create voice guides. So mm-hmm. if you are a, an entrepreneur and you have a, a copywriting team or a content team, what I can do is, is really put your voice on paper. Mm-hmm. So it's an onboarding guide for a copywriter to be able to see your vocabulary, your tone, your cadence, to literally get the measurements and the math behind that so they can hit the ground running and not, not guess at what your voice is. Like a, did you, you called it a guide, right? It's a voice guide. It's yeah. brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. Your, your whole web, I'm going to, so please go to, where the heck is it? I'm looking for it right now. Oh, prettyflycopy.com. Prettyflycopy.com. And I love that you're pretty fly for a right guy. That's super. Yeah. I just loved everything. I mean, I can't gush any further. It's ridiculous how much I'm gushing. I can't wait to get on your email list too. Is there a way for people to get into your orbit? That's really easy for them besides your website. Yeah, the website's the best place. Prettyflycopy.com slash emails. And that now gets yeah. you right to the link. And you've got 93 sign-offs to punch up your email. So that's I'll I'll put all of these links in our show notes too. And I encourage you, listener, please, please, please go check out this website. It's amazing. Yeah, the, the sign-offs are the, so the easiest way to put a little bit of personality and, and add some punch at the end of your Low year. risk, low-hanging fruit, low risk. I love yeah. it. Justin, thank you so much. Is there anything left that I did not wring out of your brain that you would want to share? So I say this quote a lot. It's my favorite thing. It's from Neil Gaiman. And he said that style is the stuff that you get wrong. Mm. And I love that because... Like if you write by the book, it doesn't stand out. Yeah. So yeah, give yeah. yourself permission to get a little bit wrong. And that's what people are going to remember. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, listener, I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.